Hi everybody, Mike here. I'm back. It's been a while. There's been some exciting movement going on with my career of late that has taken up most of my time. I will divulge details when the ink is dry, but don't worry, I haven't been slacking on red carpet rookies. I actually have a secret. I've been storing up some pretty amazing guests to release to you in the coming weeks. I just haven't had time to edit and release them until now. Today's first one back is special, not only due to the guest, but due to starting the podcast in COVID, it was actually my first ever in-person interview. Listening back to the recording, I've learned that live podcasts have more of an atmosphere to them, I think, and aren't quite as clean to edit as a Zoom recording. So this episode is rawer with more of largely my fumbles left in. There's a very little amount of static in the first few seconds, which subsides after about maybe 20 seconds. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's Balthazar. When Beast is offered to me uh, in the middle of the COVID, and you know I, the idea is to go and shoot Idris Elba in, in Africa and create a full uh, uh, lion, yeah, I, I just like, there's nothing in me that said no. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's all, what that way. There was nothing resisting that idea. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film crew member turned screenwriter working in London. Each episode, I bring you life lessons and stories from the people behind your favorite movies and shows to help demystify the business for aspiring filmmakers and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is quite the jack of all trades. A director, producer, writer, actor, and even studio owner, he is one of the rare people to have straddled both a career in his native language all the while succeeding in Hollywood. Beginning with Icelandic homegrown fare, he has since directed the likes of Two Guns with Mark Wahlberg and Denzel Washington, Everest with Jake Gyllenhaal, and most recently, Idris Elba versus a fully grown lion in Beast. Our guest is Balthazar Kormakor. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. Tak for dir. My pleasure. Now, Balthazar, I ask all my guests the same first question, and that is, what did your parents do, and did it affect your career choices moving forward? Well, my father is a, a painter from uh, Barcelona, Spanish, and my mother is Icelandic, and uh, she is a sculpturist. So I don't think they, they, that affected my career choice because there's no actor or filmmaker in the family in, in any way, but it did uh, allow me in some way to think untraditionally about you know my career. I didn't wasn't forced into anything or pushed into anything like more academic or so I think uh, it was. It's just an accepted uh, fact in my family that you do whatever you love to do. So that's that's that probably affected me in that way. Artists follow an artist. I like it. Was it your father that taught you about horse riding? Yes. Well, uh, my father and my mother. But but uh, my father had horses uh, from uh, very early when he came to Iceland in the sixties. And actually, I, the first memories of what I'm told, uh, my first horseback thing is that I was standing on a fence, two years old waiting for a horse to pass and jumping on the horse and then riding it into the stables as, as my father had finished cleaning the stables. You know, I was just sitting on the horse. So so that's, I, I, of course, I don't remember that, but that's how my parents explained my passion for horses. It was already, and I still have, and I've had horses. I was a competitive uh, horse rider and, and breed horses and I have, uh, you know. Should be a character in your own films, Bath, as well. This was actually when I was in, uh, and this sounds terribly cheesy, but when I was in theater school, I supported myself by breaking horses and dancing tango. 
Wow, that is a combination. <laughs> yeah. Beat that. Yeah. I mean, you had quite an adventurous childhood, didn't you? Because you were also playing on icebergs at the end of your garden or something like that? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you looked into it. You know, there was, we lived by the sea, and this was the, the terror to my mother. So when, when in Iceland, when the, the sea would freeze, it, it breaks up to, towards the coastline. So there is called, we call it Jakar, Jakarlep. Like, so the breakup, so you run on the breakups. And of course, it's extremely dangerous because if you make a misstep, you can fall under the ice. So you're trying to get onto the, 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 the ice, which is further out, which doesn't break up to the coast. And, and uh, every time I would come home with a wet, wet feet, my mother would put me down in bed for a day because she was so scared I would kill myself, you know, uh, by doing this. Wow. So what led an outdoorsy kid like that, you know? riding horses, jumping off fences, swimming in frozen water, into acting. I imagine in Iceland with a population of you know, 300,000 people, it probably wasn't at that time the easiest choice. And No, it natural. wasn't. And, and, uh, and, and absolutely, it wasn't my, my chosen path. And funny enough, I was very much into animals when, when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, uh, not only horses, but, but uh, I was, uh, was going to be a, like an animal, some kind of researcher, you know, in Africa, actually, funny enough. And uh, this, I can tell you later that because uh, I had forgotten about that. And then it turned into more practical to be a veterinarian. Actually, I, I was uh, uh, accepted into school in Liverpool. As, as, in the UK? Yeah, oh. as, a vet, as a vet. And then, you know, I thought six years of that and six years in Liverpool in all respect, you know, it wasn't quite the, so and at the same time there were, uh, there were auditions for the theater school and I had been doing quite a little bit, a lot of uh, acting in, in school, but, uh, but I wasn't, you know, one of the issues I had was I didn't have a very clear speech and I don't have, you know, I'm mumbly in my, you know, <laughs> I, I, in, my, in my, in my speaking, especially when it comes to Icelandic, I speak a bit fast. And so it was, I wasn't the typical actor's kid. I had no background to it. But uh, I, I did get, you know, like from directors that were working, they said, you know, I obviously have talent and the, the, I should pursue it. So I kind of lazily went to the theater school and, yeah. and uh, when I was graduating from my, my, my duty in school and I was accepted right away and, and uh, I spent four years in the Icelandic Drama uh, Academy. And, uh, and then uh, I, I actually became one of the most successful actors in Iceland at the time, you know, became kind of a movie star and, uh, you know, like a, yeah. like a new generation of, of, of actors. But it didn't quite fulfill me, to be honest. You know, I didn't, it didn't quite give me what I was looking for. And, uh, and uh, very early on, I started directing in theater and then eventually I started directing my own movies. What lessons did you take from directing theater that you take into your film work? I do think uh, there is a great lesson, which is that when you're working on stage, you have a lot of time to uh, to, to rehearse. Therefore, you do not have to decide the, uh, everything, how everything's going to play out in the end of the, that period. You allow things to come to you, and you allow the process of, of creation, you know, because an actor is never going to do exactly, or be best at what you expect him to do. He might bring something else much more interesting to the table, and and uh, and so so you learn to open up in that process and trust the process, and I try to bring that into films as much as I can because I do think it is a downfall when you try to make a movie in your head and then repeat it uh, on on set. You have to allow the the process to to uh, to give you the gifts that it might come to you on the way. And I, I and I'm repeating uh, one of the masters, uh, Bergman. He, he, I, 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 this was a great revelation when I read this uh, or heard him say this is that the more you prepare for what you're going to do, the more you're free to let it go once you're there. Mm. 
and it's very it's a it's a very interesting thing because basically by by prepping everything you now you have built your pulse something to hold on to you know what you're going to do but now if nothing comes uh, on the set you can you can do that but if something more interesting and because you have that hold hold on you not do not what you're going to do you can let it go and do something more interesting and build on that instead of you know if you don't have no clue what you're going to do and then you're like make it happen you might be in trouble because there might be a day nobody brings anything to you. So it's not that you don't prep, you prep more, mm-hmm. but you have to have the the, 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 the self-assuredness there, you know, to let go and trust the process and trust your instinct and decisions because, because films are made by decisions from when you, you know, from way back mm-hmm. in the writing process. It's not only made from strategy or thinking, it's, it's, think, it's think to you in many ways and all, every decision, what actor are you going to work with? What, what everyone in the crew, down to what, where you're shooting it, and 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 you know. So it's it's there is apart from the obvious choices of of, of scene. What what scenes are you going to use to tell this story when you're writing it? So I I, I you know I come from as you said I'm a, you know I come from many ma- many angles into this production, but most of them it's not it's it's more you know we have this saying in Icelandic which I'm going to give you a very bad translation of is like is this a naked woman thing yes a naked woman <laughs> is, is a, a naked woman is a fast learner of knitting you know it's, it's you know can spinna so it, when i'm starting in iceland there there is there are no producers really to to take your thing on so i start producing there are no screenwriters really working as screenwriters so you just have to write your own screenplay and so, so it comes from that. Of course, it's not only from that; it's also from need to do things. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy writing screenplays, but I don't look at myself as like um, I don't write. I rather um, adapt. You know, that's where my strength comes in, and, and and shape and form and all that. But I do like to work with other writers as well because they might be better at uh, you know uh, some things that I'm not. Yeah, I think you're a brilliant example of you know making that work, getting it done in your own home country, and then going out there. For anyone listening who doesn't necessarily live in Hollywood, London, New York, what would your advice be for someone who may be living in a small town? How do they get out there? Do they just make work themselves? The iPhone filmmaker? Yeah, I think in, in the end of the day, you just got to do what, you know, what was available to you. Uh, I had, uh, you know, some help because I had uh, created a name as an actor. I didn't have anything when I started as an actor. I just, I created, you know, by by working. And then when I came to filmmaking, Yes, my name was some value which I could kind of abuse for my own production, <laughs> but but in the in the in, but in the end you just gotta take what is available to you and make and and the difference from those days when I'm starting ninety, you know, ninety nine I think I make my first film. There were less uh, technical advantages in the sense that you you can make on a, on a, on a, almost like a, a camera. It doesn't have to be an iPhone. It can be a camera. Uh, that cost you maybe thousand dollars or something or thousand pounds, uh, you know, and you you have almost the same quality of image <laughs> that yeah. the Hollywood movies have, you know. Now it's now there's no excuse that you can't afford it. It's just like now you just gotta write and and create, you know, your project. And and of course you don't have available all the greatest talent, but neither did I at the time, you know. And so so yeah, I think I think that's what you do. You just build on that. If you're lucky, you you can build on that and continue, you know. Interesting. I, th- I I read in one of your interviews. But I, sorry, I, I really wanted to add also because you said like a filmmaker from wherever. The, the, what happened in my time, which is, you know, it's just about happening when I'm starting, is that you don't have to live anywhere. You know, I still live in Iceland. 
I have my home base in Iceland and I work more than um, maybe most American filmmakers, uh, you know, in America over, uh, for Hollywood at the same time, you know, but I also done my Icelandic projects. So I never put all my eggs in this one basket and, and, and said, you know, I'm going to go full of Hollywood and wait for them to, no, I just kept on making movies. I even made movies when they didn't know, when they thought I was, because they were pushing, you know, my first uh, Hollywood feature. I just, the, the deep in the shadows that didn't tell anyone because I was like, I'm not going to wait for them to decide what my life is going to be. So I kept on, on working, but I've never had to leave. I only live for projects. And, and, but, but, but in the end of the day with, with the technique, with now with the Skypes and uh, the Zooms and everything, you, you can almost, you, you, you know, unless when you're shooting, you don't have to leave home, you know? Amazing. Oh, that's brilliant. And I love your, you know, you, you just, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to have both and you can have both. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, there was no, there was no model in front of me. Mm. I just decided I'm going to, you know, I'm making those films. I don't have to give that up. I go and make those and I can continue doing that. And I build up a studio in, in the meantime, because I, I've also used the money that I've gained in Hollywood to build up a real industry in Iceland. They're shooting, you know, to detect in my studio now, you know, the fourth season. So Very cool. I love that. And to take a bit of a gear shift, in one of your interviews, you mentioned about how John Krakow's writing is part of the reason that you want to do Everest, in part because of the commercialization angle of the mountain. Is that part of the reason that you chose Beast? Because of the poacher's angle, commercialization of nature? You know, here's the thing. I, I, when Beast is offered to me, uh, in the middle of the COVID. And, you know, I, the idea is to go and shoot Idris Elba in, in Africa and create a full uh, uh, lion. Yeah, I, I just like, there's nothing in me that said no. It was <laughs> yeah. that way. It was nothing resisting that idea. And I had, you know, not similar uh, things happening to me in my life. It, you know, it was a divorce rather than, a, uh, than a, somebody dying. But it was a family time that I needed really to get my, you know, family together. And going and making Beast kind of brought my family together like his uh, wow. the, on the journey so it's always you're always mirroring something in yourself in a way so i i found that you know both extremely uh, uh interesting and 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 and, and challenging and, and I, i'll take a challenge and and also i found out i mean when i make hollywood movies i'm not looking to make a satire about american politics you know or suburban uh american movie. i i i've made movies that usually happen a lot of them happen outside, uh, you know, yeah. America, or they are, yeah. they are not, you know. So, so because I feel like I am more capable, or as capable of of my colleagues in America to deal with those, because I have been in the nature, I've been in the world, as as maybe I'm not as uh, versed in 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 uh, uh, American politics as they might be. So I choose the projects where I, my strengths can come through, you know. It's interesting for people who are listening who aren't necessarily filmmakers, because what they might see as a fun, scary movie to go and watch in the cinema in Beast, you have got your own whole life going on behind it and bringing in your family into that. And often people don't realize that, do they? That no. something that seems like a big Hollywood movie has got that nuance to it, do they? Yeah. And, and, and for me, it's like also, it's what you make of it. You know, I, I also thought this is a great opportunity to, to, to cut my teeth in, in different uh, style of shooting. So I decided to make those long one shots mm -hmm. because the story allowed is not plot driven and heavy in that it's 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 a you're moving through it's a momentum and now i'm trying to make the most of the momentum by creating tension you know and and so that's that's also like there there are so many reasons not to make film and there's so many reasons to make a film and there might be some of them very personal as i said earlier about father trying to 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 uh, build a new family uh, or, or future for his family you know or 
the challenge of creating a digital lion, you know, in full shape, you know, which is which yeah. has never come to me before. And I, I, I'm, and I'm a challenge junkie. I've said that, you know. I can and, tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been caught. I mean, I mean, it's funny because people, uh, you know, I was like, first, uh, I'm called like when I did one-on-one Reykjavik, uh, you know, way back in the day. It's like they call me Almodo on ice. And then they call me when I do the sea, like uh, Icelandic Bergman. Yeah. And then uh, you become the the action guy when I do the or the Mark Wahlberg action filmmaker, and then I do a couple of survival Shape films. Shifter. And, uh, <laughs> and then, but, but they always find out a new name for me, and and I I'm fine. I'm just next thing I'm doing a love story in Iceland, England, and Japan. You know, so so it's it's like I don't. I mean, I we have all kinds of. I, I'm an adventurous guy, but I'm also a, a, a family father. You know, I'm a, also a lover. You know, and I so I have many many uh, different uh, faces you mentioned the cgi line there and i thought it was really impressive and as you mentioned in some of your interviews the gravity of it was very you know you've got that slobber on you it reminded me almost a bit of the the bear scene in the revenant did you look at that when you yes, were of course. i mean you could not not look at that yeah. and it's it's like it's right in front of your nose and when you see a script like that you say okay that that's the 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 barrier that's the barometer i have to to reach that kind of a level of of detail in the animal, in in so so uh, so you take that, but of course in the and I actually spoke to Inarito about it. He, you know, he was very generous. You know, kind of asking him what 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 is you know what if he had any recommendations or any help, and 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 he actually did say he told me that if you can have a lion on site just for references, I would have done that with a beer, but I couldn't. Mm. So I I did that. I went and asked for a lion. You know, but but of course, and and I got it. You know, it was a reference lion that my son was thirty three years old and I, I becoming a DP from an actor to DP. Balthazar Junior. The Balthazar Brecky, yeah, yeah. And he shot the the the, the second unit on this, uh, you know, uh, on this film and directed that. And uh, so he was in a lion in a cage shooting a lion. Most of what on dad? Yeah, <laughs> he loved it. By the way, he's the, he's like the, you know. Yeah, like father like son. Yeah. Go. Absolutely. Interesting. When you are directing something like that, obviously, as, as a non-actor, I can imagine it's very difficult to be Idris or whoever and imagine that line is really there. I remember one of my first ever jobs, I worked on Fantastic Beasts, funny enough, shot by Philippe. And I remember them running around with this little teddy and run and trying to get away from it, imagine it's there. How did you coach your actors with something so scary as well. Yeah, well, well first of all, you know, I, I, we had to be very precise about what was happening because it's all shot in long takes, you know, so it's not like we can cut around it. So they had to be right in the shot. Uh, we did have, you know, men in a gray suit with a big hat, you know, which was actually a, called Oven, and he was <laughs> he was raised on a lion farm in Africa, so it, it did help. That he, he scared them. Well, no, it's more like he, he knew the pace and how they, they act. So it was, you didn't have to kind of, you know, explain everything to him. He, he could be very helpful and, and, and understanding what we were trying to achieve. But I think, like anything, you know, if you're playing grief, you have got to imagine it. You know, you're playing scare, you got to imagine it. You know, it's more, the, I don't, good actors, I don't have a, uh, you know, don't have a problem with that. It's, it's, a, it's a calibration rather, because I don't like, kids screaming in a movie for two hours, you know. So I, I rather, you know, calibrate them down and create this kind of inner tension and, and drama instead of like having them yelling, you know, out fully loud every time. But it's a, it's more when it comes to timings and especially when it's physically, uh, like when, it, when they're touching and they get the gravity and the weight, like when he pulls him, it needs to be the right weight because often if you if you wire them, they just fly like in, in a Marvel movie yeah. and it just feels too much, you know, when you see people punching each other, they fly to the wall. It's, 
but that's that's for fun or whatever it is. But it's, gravity doesn't work that way. So I was trying to be because I do believe that the scares are based on gravity as well, or reality. We we, we that's what scares me the most. It's something that you can connect to. Now, Balthazar, to wrap up on Red Carpet Rookies, I'll let's do a quick-fire question round, which is my own ode to In the Active Studio. So number one is, what is one of the best pieces of, of, of advice you've ever been given? Sorry, Best piece of advice, you know, it's to know where you stand in the room. It's to, to basically to understand, not underestimate yourself and don't overestimate yourselves. I think that's the best advice I can give. Thank you. That's a good one. Number two, do you have a favorite film at the moment? Yeah, I, I have a, yes, I do have a favorite film called, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very old one, Come and See. It's just the most visceral movie ever made. Okay, cool. Check it out. Number three, what gives you a reason to get out of bed every day for a day of directing? The love of storytelling. Number four, which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? And you've done quite a lot, so. I'll be a DP. Number five, if you could work with one person living or dead, who would it be? That's a hard one, sorry. Oh, that's a hard one. I'd probably go with Max von Sydow. Number six, what is a book that everyone should read? Uh, Touch by Olaf Johan Olofsson. Check that one out. And finally, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? I would thank Iceland. I think that's a very good one. And on that note, our time has come to a close. Tak for real to Balthazar for joining me today. The best horse riding director combo that I know. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To help us grow and be able to interview more amazing film and TV professionals, Please do subscribe and drop us a rating on the Apple Podcast Store on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. If you're interested in regular updates, the best thing you can do is to join our mailing list at redcarpetrookies.com or alternatively, find us on Instagram at redcarpetrookies or Twitter at rcrookiespod. I also tweet regularly about my own learnings in the business at Mike F. Battle on Twitter, so please do come and say hi. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time.